Father, we've just been saying that we're standing on the promises that you have made to us. And Lord, one of your promises is that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you promise to be in our midst. And so, Lord, we thank you again for being here and fulfilling that promise. We thank you, Lord, that we can know for certainty that, Lord, you will be true to your word. Lord, you look into each of our hearts now and you know, Lord, our needs. You know, Lord, where we need to feel that healing touch. You know, Lord, what we need. And we want again just to trust ourselves to you because, Lord, you have promised that you'll meet us at the point of our deepest need. But we thank you, Lord, that you also promised that you would come and speak to us, to challenge us, to lead us on in our Christian faith. And so, Lord, we ask that we would open our hearts and minds to you in that aspect also. <coughs> Lord, may we truly meet with you this time now. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> I don't know if you remember last week, but when we were here, we thought about the giants in our life, the, the situations or the people that come and stand in our way and cause us not to go forward in our Christian life. And I'm sure in the evening when you've been listening to the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, that you'll see that God has given us a help in these areas, that we don't stand alone. And that's very important for us to know. We are not alone. God has given us, in God the Holy Spirit, every help that we need. So we don't have to be afraid of what God is saying to us. And sometimes the giant is actually that. The challenge that God brings into our life can become a mountain because we think it's just too much. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, he made some outlandish and outrageous claims. That when you read the Gospels, and Jesus said these things, you could almost hear the people gasp. You could almost hear the people say, that's outrageous. That's not possible. And yet they stayed to listen because they knew deep down in their heart what Jesus was saying was true. It was the Gospel. And I want to think about, just for a moment, some of these outlandish and outrageous statements that Jesus made and then look at one that from my reading says it's the biggest stumbling block the biggest cause for us not to progress in our Christian life for Christians Jesus said lose your life to save it Jesus said the first shall be last the meek will inherit the earth. Rejoice in persecution. Pray for your enemies. It's better to give than receive. Turn the other cheek. Humble yourself to be exalted. And so I could go on and on and on. Incredible what Jesus is saying to us. We are told to forgive. That's hard when we just want to retaliate. 
We're told to love when it feels better to hold a grudge. We're told to serve when we are the ones that want to be indulged. We're told to include when we would rather shun and just keep into our own little groups. We're told to obey when we would rather just want to rebel. We're told to have a childlike faith when sometimes, like myself, I pride myself in maybe being a little bit smart. We're told to believe when we're pestered by doubts and fears. Absolutely amazing what Jesus says in these incredible sayings. So why does he say them? Well, here's the wonderful thing. That Jesus, when he sees you and me, are you listening? Because this is something that, that we rejoice in. He sees in you, you and I, great potential. Potential that we sometimes don't even recognize in ourselves. Potential that we would never even in our wildest dreams think about. But Jesus sees potential in you all. From the youngest to the oldest. He sees qualities in you that you think that you might never ever have. He has faith in you this morning. Do you believe that? Even when we lack that faith ourselves, he has faith in you. He sees truths about me and you that give us hope and give us this great confidence. You see, Christ's outstanding claims are all about you and I. And you'll find them throughout the scripture. <clears throat> and they're there, and they're asser assertions, and they're truths, so that you and I can grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. God wants us to grow up in our faith <clears throat> and to receive all that he has for us. And there's a reason for that. Because he wants me and he wants you to make a difference in where you are and where you live and what you do. And when God is working, believe it please, when God is working in your life, you will make a difference. And that's the exciting thing, that we make a difference. But these outlandish claims are there also because God is continuing to transform my life. And he is transforming your life. Let me tell you something. I saw most of you here last week. You're different. You're different from what I saw last week. Because in that week, whether you know it or not, you have grown in grace. Because God has been at work in you. I think that if there was a title to what I want to say this morning, it's this. <clears throat> there is freedom. In forgiveness. There is freedom in forgiveness. Because that's what we're going to think about this morning. Forgiveness. One of the most difficult things that God in Christ is asking from each of us. 
to forgive. To forgive. To love our enemies. I want to get back at them. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll begin to read from verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, and begin to read at 43. And again, this is God's word to us. And as I've said often, this is the most important part of the service. Here is God speaking to you and me now from his word. And this is what he says, not what I say. And so it kind of takes a burden off preachers who stand up here. This is what God says. You have heard it said, love your neighbours and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He reigns on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect and here's the mountain here's a Goliath that stands sometimes before us when God says I want you to forgive and we'll go in a little bit depth of that later I want you to forgive I remember reading about Terry Anderson you remember Terry Anderson many years ago he was a hostage in Lebanon And he was a hostage there for nearly seven years. And he was chained to a wall for most of that time. The conditions were filthy. He suffered, he tells us, much sickness and mental torture. And throughout his captivity, his captors gave him one book. And strangely enough, or is it strangely enough, the book that they gave him was a Bible. And he said one day he was reading the Bible and he came across the words that we have just read. You have heard it say, love your neighbours and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I want you to try and imagine how outlandish and how outrageous that command must have been to that man at that time here was these guys that were beating this guy up here was this guy that was these guys that were putting Mr. Anderson through hell and Jesus comes and says love your enemies and pray for them for 2,455 mind numbing days he lived in these cruel conditions He said, love them, pray for them, show kindness to those who are abusing me. Is Jesus some cosmic comedian, he says? Is Jesus a mere starry-eyed idolist? Has Jesus never lived 
in the real world. When Anderson was finally released, seven years later, he faced a press conference and they were all shouting questions at him, what he should do, how it was like. But one reporter asked a question which stopped Terry Anderson in his tracks and the question was this, Mr. Anderson, can you forgive your captives? What is an easy question to pose in the abstract. What a profound question to ponder honestly amid the realities that he had just gone through. The harsh injustice of it all. When all he was there in Lebanon for was to help the Lebanese people. And in that moment Anderson says that the words of Jesus, that words that Jesus taught in his prayer, came to mind. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. And Anderson turned round to the press conference and said, Yes, I can forgive them. Because as a Christian, I am required to forgive them. No matter how it was for me and how hard it may be. As a Christian, I am required. It's part of who I am. Some say that when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, this was the most outrageous command that he gave. To love and to pray for people that have abused you and misused you. And in the world, the real world, that is the hardest thing to do. To sometimes forgive. That no leader in history has ever made such outrageous claims as Jesus did that day. Yet one thing is acknowledged in the world. And it's this. The truth about that statement. That choosing to forgive rather than hate can turn out to be the greatest blessing in anyone's life. To do it is a giant. But when we do it, it's one of the greatest blessings that you and I can have in our life. <clears throat> if we are willing to put it to the test and trust in God for this, it is liberating. <laughs> now, no matter who we are, and what is going on in our lives, the sad reality is this, that we all have adversaries, aren't they? We all have opponents. There are people that come into our lives and just rub us up the wrong way. And that's life. There are people who have caused us to be very resentful towards them. Maybe through something that they've said or something that they've said about my family or something that they've said about my wife. Wow! <clears throat> then we're really talking. Someone says anything against my wife. Resentment. And there even can be hatred. 
against people. But before we go on, I want to underline this. Because we need to grasp this as we think about forgiveness. God's wisdom, God's ways work in choosing forgiveness instead of hating is the greatest liberty, or one of the greatest liberties, I should say, that can be ours. It is, it's true. It's freeing. Now, God's word is powerless in a vacuum. God's word just doesn't work in a vacuum. God needs, God's words need, God, sorry, God's word needs to be set free in situations. So here's a test. And if you don't do it, it doesn't matter. I'm not putting you on the spot at this moment. Maybe God is, but I don't know. I want you, in your mind's eye, to think of someone right at this moment that you know that you need to forgive. Here we are, putting God's word to the test now. Think of that person that you know that you need to forgive. We want to make God's word real, so here we are. In your mind's eye, say that person's name and bring that person in your mind's face. Think about them. Do you want to know the beginning of the healing process? That's it. That's it. To admit before God and yourself that there is someone there that you know is holding you back because you hold the grudge, because you know that you need to forgive them. And as you think about that person or that situation, hear God's word. Hear the words of Jesus. They're not my words, they're his words. And he says to me this morning, Robert, you need to love and forgive that person. You need to love and forgive that whole situation. You see, the word that Jesus used here didn't imply emotion. But the implication here is an attitude. It's an action. This is a decision of our will. Now you don't have to approve of that person. You don't have to approve of what they're doing or what they've done. You don't have to approve of the way that they conduct their affairs in life. But you have to love them. You can't get away from that fact. You have to love them. And love them as people who matter to God just like me and you. You have to see them as people who have failed and are eligible for God's saving grace just like me and you. That's the reality of God's word. And I don't think that um, it's by chance that you're thinking about God the Holy Spirit at night. Because to do and to begin the work of forgiveness you need God the Holy Spirit in your life. I need him. Now is God asking me, is Jesus asking me to do something that he has never done? 
No. Listen to what God's word said. But God demonstrated his love towards you and I while we were yet sinners. God's response to my rebellion and my dishonest attitude towards him wasn't to declare me an enemy, but he returned love for evil so that that path to him might remain open. That path was there so that I could return to him. And it's that kind of love that God wants you and I to have in Christ. Because it's the path to our freedom. Why should I forgive? Why should I take it on? Why should it be my responsibility as a Christian? Why are you putting this on me, Jesus? Well, there are a few reasons. Loads of reasons, but I just want to mention a couple of them. You and I are made up of body, mind, and spirit. It's called holistic. And when God works in our life, his work is a holistic work. He works in our body, our mind, and our spirit. He wants us to be healthy in each of these areas. Now God's word says this, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. In other words, people who harbour bitterness, anger, hatred towards others, what will happen? They will become hostage to their own bitterness. They will become angry. They won't hold a grudge, but in the end, the grudge will hold them in its claws and hold them back from all that God wants. You know, there's so many anecdotal evidences of this forgiveness in action. And if you have a chance, go and read about it. The, the amazing power of being able to forgive. One story comes to mind that I read quite recently about a couple. And they had one son. Listen to this. They had one son and he was killed by a drunk driver and their attitude towards that drunk driver was horrible they said but listen to their words they said this we can't tell you how good it felt to get on with our lives to laugh again to finally shake free from the, ang- the anchor of hatred and bitterness that weighed us down. You see, we don't really realize that this giant before us of unforgiveness can weigh us down and hold us back. And it's no exaggeration for me to say that if anyone here is holding on to unforgiveness. It is dangerous for your health. It's a dangerous drug, even in small doses. That's why God wants us to be free. So that we can look each other in the eye and say, I love you. And I want the best for you. But if you're like me, It's sometimes difficult to let go and to let God. 
But God wants us to be healthy people in body and mind and in spirit. Forgiveness also means that if we're willing to begin the process, and sometimes it is a process that we need to work through before we get there, to begin the process, then we hold out the hope of reconciliation. At the height of the Cuban crisis that was building up and I think we're all old enough to remember that we thought that we might be moving into the Third World War. Khrushchev sent this letter to President Kennedy and part of it read like this. You and I should not pull on the ends of a rope in which we have tied the knot of war. Because the harder we pull, the tighter the knot will become. And a time may come when the knot is tied so tight that the people who tied it are no longer capable of untying it. And then the knot will have to be cut. What that could mean I need not explain because you yourself understand perfectly what dreaded forces our countries possess. Love your enemies and forgive them. It's a decision to return good for evil. It means that we, in our minds and in our wills, we stop pulling on the knot of conflict that can sometimes become so tight that it's impossible for it to be undone. By loving and forgiving. And I know what you're thinking, because I thought this when I was thinking about this. It's all to do with us. And it is all to do with us. It's a process. And we have to do it. We can't say, I'll do it if the other person does it. That's not a condition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is forgiving the person, whether they're right, wrong, or whatever their attitude is. Hard, isn't it? But God's word is true. God's word is alive. God's word is victorious. If we do it, it's liberating. And if we hold on, then the tension gets tighter and tighter but if we are willing to work at it then reconciliation can happen now I have a person in mind right now because I can't give you God's word and not take it to myself the likelihood of me being able to forgive that person and having fellowship with them it's just an anathema to me. I cannot even imagine it. I, I just don't want it. But the possibility is there. And that's the process. That God's amazing grace. That I forgive that person. That that person could actually become my brother or sister in the Lord. You know, some early Christians in the Acts of the Apostles... It tells us that they feared and hated a guy called Saul. Because he was doing terrible things. But Saul became Paul. And he was the one that preached love and forgiveness. And here in this outrageous uh, saying that Jesus is saying, 
that the one that you treat your enemy today can become a brother and a sister tomorrow. If you're willing to forgive. And I wasn't actually going to to preach this word this morning because I don't know you so well. And you might think it's a hard word, but it's there. I can't get away from it. And it's more of a message for myself than for you. But we need to learn to forgive. It's the way ahead. And when I was thinking about it, one of my prayers for myself is, Lord, I want to please you. I want to please God. I want to make God happy by the things that I do. If I don't forgive, my relationship with God is not what it should be. And that's a fact. And just lastly, before I finish, and I'm not making any excuses for God's, God's word, but sometimes it is hard. But the last thing before I finish is this. Forgiveness in action is the most attractive thing in the world. In other words, if we are willing to put forgiveness in place, it is kingdom building. It's powerful. People look and see when someone forgives someone else that they realize that it's not a work that that person can do themselves. There is God working. And where God's working, people notice and sit up and are attracted. You know, I remember I lived in Turkey for three years and there was a couple that went to the north of the country. Lovely couple with two kids. And one day, three young men went into the office where the guy was working and killed him. For no reason at all except that he was a Christian. They killed him. Three weeks later, his wife went on television. You might have seen it. It was all on our television. And said to the whole world, I want to state that in Jesus I forgive these three young people. And then that one act of forgiveness, and you could see that she meant it. It was powerful as far as the kingdom of God was concerned. And what happened in that part of the world? Powerful. So in forgiveness, there is this tremendous work of God going on because people realize that you can't do it yourself. Let me close by using the word peace because that's what I believe when we are able to forgive, when we move on, you have a peace with God. A peace that passes all understanding. <clears throat> peace begins with P. You want to begin the work of forgiveness. Then it begins on your knees in prayer. Owning up before God that you have a problem and you need, to, you need his help to work it through. Just being honest with God. Lord, I just don't like that person. Help me, please. P, and then it's E. Empathy. It's one of the things that Jesus had. 
And it's a prayer that when I have prayed it, it just is absolutely freeing. Give me empathy, Lord. Help me to see that person that I have problems with. Lord, do you see them? When I see them as God sees them, a person that God died for. And it's different. A. There needs to be action. And maybe just some small acts of goodness towards that person begins the thawing process. And then see confession. I don't like to confess because I like to think I'm a good guy. But I need to come before God and say, I confess, I cannot do this on my own. And then E is just to emulate. Scripture says, who are we to imitate? We are to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest act of forgiveness, the highest act of forgiveness was seen in what we spoke about earlier, the cross. What was Jesus' word to the cross? Forgive them, Lord. And he meant it. And so my word this morning is that if that giant of forgiveness is there in your life, then God would challenge you by his grace and through his strength to begin to work so that you'll be free. You'll be liberated. You'll be able to move on in all that God has for you. And if you think, well, I can't do it on my own, go and speak to someone. You have Graham there. I'm here. Go and speak to someone. But begin, please, if it's necessary. If it's not, then don't be a, there's not a problem here. But that is the word that God has given. So let me again say that, what, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are the words of Jesus for us this morning.